what God did, he's showing me something concerning the harvest that I had not given any thought to. I've given much consideration to what God is wanting to do and why Jesus Christ came and how his objective is to gather us together. That's his objective as his people, as his own. And, uh, but then to see the way God is showing it to me now, I believe it's going to make a difference in our lives. I want to begin here in the fourth chapter of John. You know the story of the woman at the well, the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and after she uh, began to question uh, the Lord, how is it you being a Jew offering me, uh, asking me for a drink? And then he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was talking to you, you wouldn't be doing all of the, you see, you wouldn't be doing all the questioning. You start asking me some questions because you would desire what I have to offer you more so than what you have to offer me. This is paraphrasing uh, the situation that was taking place with the woman at the well. And then if you go all the way down to the end of it, you know, it was a prophetic word spoken uh, concerning her uh, husband's uh, that she had had in the past and the live-in situation that she was living in at that particular time. And he was known to be a prophet, you're a prophet, and, and all of this. But then when you get down to the 27th verse, it says, at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? Listen to this, said they marveled that he talked to a Samaritan woman. You know, you don't, the Jews didn't have any dealings with the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. He looked down at them. But Lord, what are you doing talking to Jesus, talking to a Samaritan woman? Marveled at that. Uh, yet no one said, what do you seek? Now, I believe when it says, what do you seek, I believe that it is saying to Jesus, what are you looking after? What are you trying to find, I would say, in an environment like this? What do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pots, went her way into the city, and said to the man, listen to the harvest now, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Now, the truth of the matter is that he opened up her heart so that all the things that she ever did were exposed at that particular moment. They were exposed. He, she began to see her life differently as a result of this encounter with the Lord. He said, and then she said, could this be the Christ? Then they went out the city and came to him. So now we begin to see the end gathering. We begin to see people coming to him. In the meantime, and, and watch this, verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, I want you to eat something. But he said to them, here's what he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said, wait a minute now. You talk about some food. I'm, uh, I'm telling you to eat, and you're telling me that you've already eaten. <laughs> Who sneaks some food to Jesus on the sly. They gave him some food while we are still hungry, but they pulled him aside and fed him. So then the disciples said, who brought him anything? And Jesus said to them, he said, well, 
and that's how Jesus talked. He doesn't just talk in ways that we clearly understand him. He began to talk about, he said, let me give you a new definition of food. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Not only to do the will of him who sent me, but to finish his work. And then he began to talk about the harvest. He said, there are still four months, then comes the harvest. Do you not say that there are four months and then come the harvest? He said, usually on your calendar, as you look at your almanac, you say in four months, then comes the harvest. But behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps, receive wages and gather fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For this is, for in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans, that, and watch the harvest now, many of the Samaritans at that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. And when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And you know the rest of the story because we begin to see where the woman was used by the Lord after hearing from him in order to be conduit in his hands to bring in the harvest. Now, when you talk about the harvest, Jesus talked about food that you don't know about. I have food that you don't know about. He's talking in ways that is unfamiliar to the people that's hearing him. And when he talked about the harvest, you have to look at some things that really stood out to me. We talk about the harvest, and we also must recognize another part of that is time. I did some teachings just a few weeks ago about time. Timing, timing, because usually when you talk about a harvest, there is a time to plant, and there's a time to reap. There's a time, if you look at your almanac, there's a season whereby things begin to grow, and then there's a time to reap that which had been sown. But it has to do with time. It has to do with timing. We talk about the harvest, the harvest time. Now, we talk about the time. Usually, we're talking about the calendar, and we're talking about uh, our clocks and the like. But when the Lord talks about times, he begins to tie times with seasons. He said there are seasons and there are times. And then we look at the times in which we're living. Uh, we begin to look at the fact that there are things that's happening within our times that indicate the fact that the fields are ripe for harvest. I want you to know that. The fields are ripe for harvest. Jesus recognized that. That's why he made it a point to go to Samaria. Even though Samaria was a, uh, I, I would begin to say that there was all the others would route, take a route around Samaria because of the fact that they would want to uh, avoid any contact with the Samaritans. But Jesus had set his face like flint 
and he said, I have to go to Jerusalem, I mean to Samaria, because there is something in Samaria that I must do that had not been done. Time, time. What is God saying to us about time? What is God speaking to us about time? And we talk about times, we must look at the times. Here's what we have to understand. Things are happening around us, and these things aren't just happening. They're not just happenstances, but there's something that God is saying through the things that's going on in our day and in our times that we must pay very close attention to. God is getting the fields ripe, and I would venture to say that the fields in our day are ripe for harvest. But the thing is, when we talk about timing and times, there are two things we have to consider. One is whether we are merely defining the times, or are we postured to discern the times. That's the difference now between defining the times, because when you begin to look at things that are happening, in fact, Jesus began to even deal with the people. He said, well, he said, when you look into the sky, you look at it and see that it's red, and, and you say it's, it's going to rain, or it's red and threatening. It could be good weather, one would say, and then the other, red and threatening. It's going to be foul weather. He said he called them hypocrites because you can discern the signs of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. He says, what he's really saying to them, why do you call them hypocrites? He said, you're attempting to reduce spiritual reality to scientific methodologies. You're trying to scientifically give definition to life. How can you describe, how can you define what's really going on? He says, you're trying to do it all scientifically. You're trying to do it through observable things, but void of spiritual insight. He says, so what I'm telling you is that we have to come to the place of not just being observant as to what's going on, but we must also must be people that have spiritual insight, that we are brought to the place where we can discern what is going on. We can discern the times. Now, the Bible speaks of discernment. It talks about person being discerning. It says those who are of age through usage, through exercise, they're able to come to the place of discernment. He said discernment doesn't just come to all, but when we are at a place where we are exercising, uh, or we are spiritually exercising, that we can begin to discern a particular thing. He called, the, he called them hypocrites. He said, you're blind guides because you're not really seeing from a spiritual perspective that the harvest is, in fact, right. Another thing we have to look at when we look at the harvest is that what God does, He does a thing that we call conditioning. Conditioning, getting the harvest right. So if we look at what's happening, the wars, Israeli opportunities are numerous and endless. We see crises that are taking place where people come to the place of being desperate. I would venture to say that, yes, we might be desperate to a degree, but the Lord wants us to become even more desperate than we are right now. We be able to look at what's happening. It, uh, people in search of identity. We just had a conference. Thank you, uh, Pastor Greg, on last Wednesday. We talk about identity. 
and understand now we're facing an identity crisis where people are trying to figure out who they are or where they are or who they're supposed to be. All have to do with identity. Who am I? Who is my father? Who is my, who, what race am I? What, what, what nation, what's my nationality? What is my roots? Where, where did I come from? So we're facing an identity crisis in this day. We're looking at these political uncertainties at this particular time where people are confused because you cannot place confidence in any party. I'm just being very candid with you. You can't put, place all your confidence in any party. You say, well, I'm Democrat, I'm Republican. If you really begin to examine them closely, you begin to see the, the, the underbelly of all parties, of each party. So you can't place your confidence in that. We begin to see political unrest, uncertainties that's taking place politically. Now we see wars and rumors of wars. When I talk about wars, rumors of wars, I'm not just talking about what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in some of the places that we are aware of right now, because we understand that these crises in the Middle East and like are taking place, and it's causing a lot of unrest when it comes to wars and rumors of wars. But then within our own nation, there are turf wars. There are turf wars that's taking place because there's one group uh, that's defending their turf, domestic wars taking place. But, but greater than any of that is the war that takes place within the heart and the soul of the individual because now we see violence like never before, violence that's some provoked and some even unprovoked violence. So with all of these things happening, and we can just go on and on and begin to describe, and some of you can probably do a better job in describing the conditions of the world as they exist right now. But all of these things happening, we go to the Word of God, and we find the answer there. Because nothing has happened outside of God's knowledge. That's something we have to say. Nothing has happened outside of God's knowledge. I go to the book of Joel at chapter 3, verse 12. It says, let the nations be awakened. Now, we talk about woke, no, being woke or being awakened, coming to a place of awareness. He says, but here the Lord said, let the nations be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come down, for the vine press is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now, when he speaks of the harvest in this particular light, he's speaking of judgment. He's speaking of judgment. He is saying that when he says that the harvest, the harvest is ripe. When he says that it is time for the sickle to be put in place, for the harvest is ripe, come down, for the wine press is full. If you do some research on this thing of the wine press, you'll see it in Isaiah where it talks about who is this from Basra who treads in the wine press. He says, I tread in the wine press alone. He's talking about the rights of, of, of wrath. And we talk about the, the grace of wrath. He's talking about man's wrath. He said, man has reached a place where his attitude and disposition against God has reached an all-time high. We're not just fighting flesh and blood, mind you, but the anger, the hostilities, and all the things that reside within the hearts of individuals is really against God. 
So it is saying, and, and, and we all were once there. We were God-haters. The Bible says we all were lost. We were all hating God. There was a time we didn't think that we were hating Him. But the truth of the matter was we had issues with God because if God is righteous, we're unrighteous. You best believe there's, there's, a, uh, there's a line being drawn, and we can't have our own way. We can't do our own thing because God is standing against what we think, the things that we think and we want to do. But then he says that when he talks about the harvest, he says, now he says that in this particular instance, he's talking about the harvest, he said man has reached his apex. Man has reached this place within his hostilities and anger towards God that is at an all-time high. He said, and it's expressed in various ways. You see, it's all against God, but how do you express your house? How do the world, how do people that don't know the Lord express their anger and hostilities towards God? And even that's why we began to even sing the song. You know the song, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, trust Him at His Word." Uh, then it talks about, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Uh, uh, to love him more, to trust him more. It is saying that even the degree of my love towards God, my desire is to love him more than I love him. I want to trust him more than I now trust him. Because every time I do something that's contrary to the will of God, it's really indicative of the fact that there, is, uh, there are some issues in my love walk. There are some things concerning my walk with God, concerning the height, depth, width, width and breadth of his love that's foreign to me. And I like what Paul said, I want to know those dimensions of his love that I'm not knowing as of yet. Things that I would do, I do not do. The things I would not do, I find myself doing, he said, because, you see, my love walk is not as I would have it to be, but my desire, my passion is to love him and to trust him in ways that I had not trusted him in the, trusted him in the past. So now, when he says, so, so, so the saint is not perfect, but the saint has set up or established a perfect standard. Not that we have arrived as of yet, but our standard is of such that we are striving for this particular thing to be established within our lives. And then we realize the only way for it to be established is that the Lord himself must come and set up residence. He must set up residence upon the earth and understand, and as he has set up residence within our hearts, so that the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here he begins to say, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. He said, uh, the, wrath of, uh, the, the, the wrath of man has reached its apex, so now the Lord is getting ready to judge his judgment. God is getting ready to judge things. Now, judgment is not a bad word. We always thought of, we say judgment, oh, that's such a bad word. God, God has delivered us from all judgment. No, judgment means that God now is ready to establish his own standard. He's ready to say, he said, enough. That's when the Lord draws the line of demarcation. He said, this thing, I have permitted it to exist as long as it has existed. I've allowed things to happen the way they've happened in the, in, in the past. He said, but that's enough. There's a time, you see, and, and, and we like his long-suffering, his, his, his so long-suffering that the Lord will put up with a whole lot of stuff that we wouldn't put up with. But God is so patient. He's so long-suffering. The Lord said he, he said, he said, you messed up, but I still love you. Yes, you, 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 you've strayed away. You've done this thing and that thing and another. But understand, I, I, I'm like the, the, the father of the prodigal. He said, my arms are yet 
open wide for you to come back home and receive the benefits of, of, of the fellowship that has been broken between us. That's how much, that's how loving you is. But then there's a time when that runs out. There's a place. He said, I, I, I love you, but now you have set your sights and you have made, set your allegiance or you have pledged allegiance to the enemy. So now you're not seen as one that's one with me, but now you are one who have, have, have in a fixed position in opposition to who I am. So now when he talks about the harvest, he said, that's what has happened. God, judgment is going to take place. Those that, that's why I put so much emphasis on what it really means to be saved, what it really means to be converted. You know, these last few weeks, we've been talking about that what true conversion is, what true, what it really means. Not just going to church, not just going through the motions, but knowing that a transformation has occurred within your life, that you cross the threshold of death into life, that you cross that that you have love for the brethren. There's something that has happened you have, you have, within your life where a change has occurred, a transformation has occurred within your life. That's what true conversion is all about. It's not just what church you belong to. Church, It has to do with coming to that place where you come to the end of self. You come to the end of self so that you can see one that's greater than yourself. So he says, I sit to judge all the surrounding nations. He said, but put a sickle. Now watch the harvest. Put a sickle for the harvest is ripe. It took that woman to have gone through all those men, having all those husbands, and now having a, a, a living situation and, and because there was an emptiness that resided deep within her heart and within her soul that a man could not satisfy, but her pursuit was to find the answer in relationships because she was not in places of understanding what it meant to be relatable to the Lord. So she went through all of that, but the Lord, the Lord saw that, and the Lord set her up. He set her up. Just so happened. She's coming to get some water. And it just so happened Jesus Christ was coming to the same well. You see, it, it may look like it's a coincidence, but it just so happened that, that, that her destiny was of such that she met with the Messiah at the right time. And when that encounter took place, it just so happened that the Messiah was thirsty and asked her to give him a drink. <laughs> How could this coincidence occur unless it was a setup? Because Jesus knew that she would be coming. Jesus knew that she would be there at the exact time, at the exact place. Jesus had knowledge of that. So when she showed up, he showed up. And when I say showed up, I'm not just standing physically. When she showed up, when she exposed herself and her needs, her nakedness, then the answer to her dilemma showed up. And Jesus, who is the answer, asked a question. Give me a drink. Give me a drink. 
And that's what triggered a conversation between the two of them. And uh, eventually it led to a positive conclusion, which was the harvesting of the souls of the people of Samaria. Because if you read the rest of it, she began to tell the people in Samaria, she became an evangelist. She began to tell them all. She said, come see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. And if he told me everything I've ever done, he knew everything you've done. So now, look at this. Go back to the scripture. Put the sickle in, put, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Then he says, come down. Come, go down. For the wine press of the grapes of wrath are full. The vats overflow. For their wickedness is great. But you got to read verse 14 to get a clear understanding of this. He says, multitudes. Then he repeats it. When the Lord repeats something, it's not just, he doesn't have it, he's not stuttering. When he repeats it, he is talking about the depth of the statement that was made previously. He said, multitudes, yes, multitudes in the valley of decision. In the valley of decision. He said, this is the low place where decisions must be made. He said, now, now it's really something. I, I, I always wonder, why does it always take some kind of tragedy or some kind of disaster before people begin to question who God is and what they really need in life? He said, but I've allowed you to come to the, not the mountain of decision, but to the valley of decisions. He said, the reason that more questions are being asked today than answers given is because God is trying to get you to a new place in Him. We have more questions than answers today. There's, the Bible talks about how in this day, uh, how knowledge shall increase, and there's more uh, uh, with, with computers and uh, all the uh, IT, that, that there's more information available than ever before. But even with all the information, there's more questions than answers. I can't Google the answer to the, the, the condition or the, I would say, the challenge that resides within my soul. I can't find that on Google. He said, multitudes, multitudes in the valid decision. He said, he said, the reason for the day of the Lord is near. Where? In the valley of decision. You see, the day of the Lord. You got to understand. Now, I do some study on the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, what that day is. One scripture in particular out of, uh, I think it's in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, where it talks about the day of the Lord when Jesus wept as he was entering to Jerusalem. And he says, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you had known, yes, in this your day, the things that make for your peace. In this your day, he, he's saying that this your day uh, has come for the day of your, the things that make for your peace. What is he saying? What is he saying? And I'll bring this up later on. He said, when I show up, like he showed up to the woman at the well in Samaria, he said, the day has come. I 
introduce you to the day. See, the day, in other words, he brings, he brings presence into the situation. He says, so now, he said, if you'd known, he said, but you didn't know that when I was coming, he said, you didn't make any preparation for my, for, 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 for my coming into your city because you were busy doing your business and engaged in your activities, but all the while, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. He's coming to the very seat of power, political power, religious power, uh, uh, economic power. He was coming into the city of Jerusalem and, and religious power because we look at all the religion, and you would think, where are you going to start? You're going to start in the uh, political arena? You're going to start uh, in, in the business arena? Where are you going to start? Jesus, after he came into Jerusalem, the first place he went was in the temple. <laughs> he said the biggest challenge that we have and the biggest mess that we have has to do with religion. So he came into the temple. He came into the temple, and he didn't come there and say, well, uh, do you mind if I, will you give me a, a platform so I can speak here? No, he came with a whip. Driving out judgment. Driving out the money changers and selling of doves and all the activity that was taking place in that particular day because that day has come, and it came against their day. Decision was made. He said, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decisions. He is saying, as we look at our day, this is the window of opportunity that God has afforded us. He has afforded us. If you look at that Luke chapter 19, 41, he says the things, he says that if you had known in this your day, he said the things that make for your peace the things that make for your peace. When he says the things that make for your peace, we have to understand the depth of peace that he's speaking of. He's not talking about the peace that the world offers. Because when they say peace, peace, there's another peace, peace, sudden destruction will come upon them. So the peace that they are seeking after is the peace that God offers. You understand, first of all, there must be peace with God. You see, peace with God and understand what Jesus Christ did. He came, the middle wall of petition was, was, was dealt with, dividing uh, us from the Lord. So he deals with the, that we come in peace with God, and then we are postured to receive the peace of God. It is not my peace I give unto you. He said, the peace that I give you is a different level of peace. When they say peace, sudden destruction comes. But when I say peace, this is the peace that surpasses all understanding. And it is a lasting peace. Situations and circumstances will not, will not shatter you, will not shake you up. Because in spite of what's happening around you, the peace in you secures you. He said, but you don't know that peace if you don't know me. If you don't know me. He said, the things that make for your peace. He said, you would have been, you would have been excited. Now, understand what they were. They were, yes, the crowd was all excited about him. And they were saying, Hosanna to the highest. Lord, save us. Lord, save us. That's the word. Hosanna to the highest. They hollering and screaming. But the same crowd that was saying, Hosanna to the highest, was the crowd that said, crucify him. In other words, their, their commitment to the Lord was very fickle. Now, I can relate to that. 
I can relate to the fickleness of commitment when it comes to the things of God. When people appear as if they have given their all to the Lord. <laughs> I'm trying to say, I want to say something. I kept a lot of letters in my file. I got some letters. I got some letters. Pastor, pastor, pastor. I, I just want to let you know how much a blessing you are, how, how you bless my soul and such and such. I kept a lot of those letters. And, and my commitment is to be here. And, 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 then, and then a wind of doctrine or an offense or something occurs. And they begin to say, the Lord said. And sometimes they won't even say the Lord said. Uh, I, I just believe in my heart that it's time for me to move on. It's not just a, uh, you see, now it's not about your remaining here as much as the reason behind, you see, behind the activity that takes place within us. But, but the point I'm making is that we have to be careful that our commitments to the Lord and to each other is not fickle. Divorce, you see, because you do that, that's divorces as well. My wife didn't cook. Uh, the, 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 the food that I wanted her to cook, therefore I'm out of here. You see, uh, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to do a particular thing at a particular time, and she held out on me. I got to go on. I got to move. You see, that, <laughs> I, I'm just being real. <laughs> I'm just being real. But you see what I'm saying? When our commitment is not strong in the Lord, then our commitment to each other is also weakened. And we're vulnerable to all kind of influences to bring us to places that we would much rather not be. But let's look at this. Let's go back and look at what he was talking about when he talked about this day, this day, this day, where judgment occurs. Jeremiah, the other prophet says something about it. Jeremiah 8, verse 19. Verse 9, rather. Uh, 8, uh, I guess it's 19. You have 819. It says, why have they provoked me to anger? Why have they provoked me to anger? With their carved images, with foreign idols. He said, why you provoke me to anger? Now, you say, God, God is emotional. God has emotions. God has feelings. A lot of folks don't know that. They think he's just this this entity that doesn't feel a thing. God has feelings. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He said, why have you provoked me to anger with, these, with their carved images? Are you trying to provoke me to jealousy? With foreign idols. Then he says here that while you were doing this, the opportunities have passed you by. While you were engaged in activities that where you pledge your allegiance to other things rather than to me. You begin to switch what ought to have been given to me towards other things, and you were more engaged and involved in that than you were engaged with me. He said, the harvest has passed. The harvest has passed. He said, the opportunity has passed you by. He said, during the time when you were engaged in all of those activities, he said, I place you among those people not for what you thought you were placed there for. <laughs> but that was a part of the harvest. Why are people drawn to you? Why is it that you have these people that keep coming around you or you're a part of them? He said it's all a part of the harvest. Jesus sets us up so that we can be an influence in those particular areas where we're placed. He said, but if we don't use what God has given us the way God would have us use it, he said the harvest is past. 
He said the opportunity was not a static opportunity. It wasn't just a stagnant opportunity whereby it will always be there. He said, right now the window of opportunity is open. Why are you on that job? Why are you among those people? Why do these people like you? Why are you part of that family? It's not just coincidental that these are the people that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. He said that these are opportunities for Christ to be made known through you to the people that you're dealing with from day to day. But then he goes on to say the harvest passed. He said the harvest has passed. Summer is ended and we are not saved. Oh. Let me just tell you, I, uh, they, 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 my preacher, my pastor, when I was living in St. Louis, was preaching this particular message, and it was during my weaker, my weakened state. I was at a place where I told you my story. After I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and and lost everything I had, I went through my my uh, that experience where everything was stripped. I wasn't running with the same people I used to run with. I wasn't doing the things I used to do, and then I finally got a place. I said, "Enough of this." I prayed to the Lord. I said, "Lord, I want to go back into the world." I want to go back. I want to get back. I had friends. I had money. I had things going for me. I want to go back. I want to go back into the world. It looked like the Lord would let me go back. And then eventually I found myself out there in, in the, doing the stuff I used to do. And I, I just so happened. I wouldn't go back to church. I'm done with church. So this particular time I go to church, and guess what they're talking about? The harvest. The harvest. And then they start singing that song. Don't let this harvest pass. I'm in the basement of the church. I wouldn't go upstairs. I stayed in the basement uh, because I didn't want anybody to see me because conviction was all over my face. Now, you can't relate to that. Conviction all over my face because I hadn't been in church for a while. So I'm sitting in the basement of Bethesda in St. Louis. Bishop Johnson. See, they know what I'm talking about. I'm in the basement and they singing this song, Lord, don't let this harvest pass. So when I, when I sneaked out of the church with all that just so guilt-ridden, that I just felt, I said, boy, it's like it's squeezing me. It's, it's just like I don't know what to do or where to go. And then the Lord began to speak to me and let me know. He said, yes, you missed that opportunity, but I still love you. And I'm granting you opportunity this time to do what you ought to be doing and not what you would like, uh, the things that you thought you would like to do. You know what? I found more misery in my backsliding than I had ever experienced before in my life. I didn't know that life could be that miserable when you return to the stuff that you used to do when you've been delivered from it. That's the worst feeling I've ever had. I, I think I told you one time, I took a picture of myself and I kept it on the dresser and I would look at it. Every time I think wrong, I'd look at that picture. I said, I don't ever want to be that guy again. But he says here that the harvest has passed, the summer has ended, yet you're not even saved? He says, now what has happened, you might still think that you are doing great things and making a difference in the lives of people because at that particular time, I'm helping my folk. I'm dealing with civil rights issues and I'm still helping people that need help. I'm still opening my money up to those that need uh, the poor and all those kind of things. But then the Lord, verse 21, came into being. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I mourn. I am mourning. 
In other words, he is saying that you've healed the hurt of my people slightly. You've not really produced anything of substance or that would be long-lasting. But all you're doing, out of all your efforts, I don't care how many times you put forth effort to help folk, he said, it still doesn't lead to change where their lives are transformed as a result of your efforts. He said, what they do, you feed them. He said, they get hungry again. That's what Jesus said, I have food that you meet that you don't have any knowledge of. When you, uh, you, you bless them, he said, they are still not at a place where that blessing is permanent. Everything that you engaged in is temporary. I, I, hope, I hope you hear what I'm saying, because God is talking to us. He said, we, you're providing temporary service to a people that have permanent issues. He says, so the hurt of my people I hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Then he says here, he said, the condition that I'm in, this is the rhetorical question that I believe was answered in one of the old Negro spirituals. He says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no balm? Is there no balm in Gilead? I expect to find a balm, a healing balm, something that could provide healing for the wound of my soul. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no remedy? Is there something that I can apply to, con to the condition of my soul that would produce healing within me? And then he goes on to say, is there no physician there? Any doctors here? Is there a doctor in the house? I know a lot of folk call themselves doctors, but you probably heard it, where one guy saw a sign said, uh, doctor so-and-so and so-and-so on the door. door. He was in bad shape, needing physical help. Got to find he's a doctor of, of psychology. But it said, doctor, doctor, you got to do something about my wound. He said, you didn't read the rest of the story. I'm a psychologist. I'm a doctor of psychology. Well, you didn't take your sign down because you're thinking, I'm thinking that you could heal my wound. And all you could do is talk to me about my problem. But understand what he's saying here. Is there no physician within the house? Let me just stop there for a moment. Are there, is there any people that can apply the Word of God skillfully so that I'm just hearing talking heads but I'm hearing that which I can apply to my situation that could provide for me a remedy to the situation that exists within my soul. Is there no physician? Are there any, and understand, is there, a, is there any commun community where I can become a part of where the people love and they're committed to the love of God and the service of the Lord more so than their own issues and their own uh, satisfying themselves. He said, is there no physician there? He said, then why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughters of my people? Why is it? Why are they recovering? But they just, they just hooked on uh, the, the, the things that provide relief for a season. 
but not a cure for their problem. Take two aspirins and call me in the morning. <laughs> yeah, doctor, how many times would I take two aspirins? All you're doing is anesthetizing the pain, but you're not providing a remedy to the pain. Now, we go all the way to, uh, to the book of Revelation. Revelation of Christ, last book in the Bible, 14 chapter, 14 verse. He said, then I look and behold a white cloud. We look at things that are yet to come. I saw a white cloud. And on that cloud sat one like the Son of Man. Now we're going to see something. Having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle, that's the Lord now, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he who sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple when he, which is in heaven, he also had a sharp sickle. Both of them have sickles. And another angel came out from the altar. All these are significant. We look at these symbolisms. The altar, the cloud, he says, who had power over fire. And he cried out with a loud, uh, uh, cried out with a loud crying with a loud crying to him who had the sharp sickle saying thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of a vine of the vine of the earth for her great grapes are fully ripe so then the angel thrust in his sickle in the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of god and the wine press was trampled outside the city, and the blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Now, now, when I read this thing about grapes of wrath, we talk about wine. Remember last, is it last week? We, yeah, last week, we received Holy Communion. What did that grape juice which represented wine, which represented something else. Represent. <laughs> huh? What did it represent? The blood. It represents blood. This is my blood. This is my blood, which was shed for you. What were we saying here? Jesus is saying the reason that he was beaten beyond recognition the reason that he suffered the things that he suffered, he says, I took upon myself the wrath that would have been measured against you. You deserved it, but I took it upon myself. That's Jesus now. You, you got to really think about that, that he took upon himself the wrath of God. In other words, he was, he was beaten and bruised so badly God turned his back on him. Here he is, the beloved son, innocence, innocent of any sin. Because if he had any sin, then it would be because of his own sin. But he 
had done, he had not committed any sin. Sinless sacrifice. Therefore, he qualified as a sacrifice. And the Lord turned his back on him and let him suffer the way he suffered, bled and died. Not only they put a, they put a sword to make sure that the water and blood came out of him. He said, all of this took place. He said, so now we begin to look in the thing. He says, now we begin to see that the sickle, the sharp sickle, the, we begin to see the grapes of wrath being fully, and we see Jesus Christ being the one who is the offering and the offerer, so that now the wrath of God is poured out upon him. Now, I always look at it this way, because I don't believe in universalism. I believe that if you do not accept Christ as the sinless sacrifice, if you do not receive the offer that was made for us to receive this as our benefit, that you're still under that wrath that would, that's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. Those that suppress the truth in unrighteousness, that it's still yours if you want it. And the, I say you want it if you don't receive the offering that Christ has offered to us. God has offered us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to have to close it, but look at what, I got a couple of points I'm going to make before we close. Here we begin to look at Jesus Christ. Here we talk about the harvest. I'll pick this up next week, but in Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two before his face. Because now we see Jesus. He said, In every city and place where he himself would, was about to go, then he said to them, this is what he said to them, he said, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Look, at he made a contrast. He said, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Now, he qualifies the laborers. I, I hope I get to that, but he qualifies who the laborers are. He said, but now, what I want you to do, I want you to pray. I want you, therefore, to pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you as lambs among wolves. Pray the Lord of the harvest. That is what he's saying in essence. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that they may see things as he sees them, that they see things that God has permitted me to see them. You see, because he says, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He said, I want them to see what I see. He said, in other words, you see people, you see masses, you see multitudes, but I want you to see what I see. But the only way you're going to see what I see, God has opened your eyes. How's it going to be? Yeah. Pray to the Lord of the harvest so he will permit you to see. See, they have eyes, but they do not see. Ears, but they do not hear. And hearts that they do not perceive. What kind of laborer or what caliber of labor God is seeking after? He said, first of all, we talked about the wandering souls, the souls of individuals 
that doing foolish things, stupid things, things that don't make any sense, they're really seeking significance. It is the things that I think will make my life significant. If I did this thing, then I will feel good about myself. I will feel as if I finally got what I wanted. But it's only digging a deeper hole within your soul. You see, what you think about, what you think will bring pleasure and peace is all it's doing is digging a deeper hole in your soul. Because what happens when you do things that's offensive to God, you don't realize it. I mentioned this the other week. It produces a soul wound. You didn't know you were hurting yourself trying to help yourself. See, the works that you engaged in, dead works, because it must be done through the life of the Spirit. Desperate souls, desperate souls, only those who are desperate seek and find salvation. Only those who are desperate. How desperate are you? Only desperate souls seek and find salvation. Did you hear me? If you're not desperate, you're not going to find it. Seek, seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. Only desperate souls seek and find salvation. See, the Lord had to bring me to a place of desperation. You heard the story about a uh, guy said, how, what, how do you know that you've been called to the ministry? The old preacher asked the old preacher that. How do you know you're called to the ministry? He took him out to the water. You heard the story before. I said it myself. He took him into uh, the, the, the river. And he began to walk with him in the river. And they got, they got real, real, well, the water was up to their up to their shoulders. And then you would think, what would the man do? The man took his head and plunged him into the water and held him down there. He just held him there. So then eventually a few minutes, a few seconds, a, few, a minute or so, he let him up. He, <gasps> then he took his head again. He pushed him back into the water again. And he's still gasping for breath. Then he finally, he did two or three times. He said, what you trying to do, kill me? Are you trying to kill me? He said, when you become as desperate for Christ and living for him and conveying and, and desiring his life to become your life and sharing that life with others, as you are for breathing breath, then you're ready for ministry. Desperate souls will find it. The Bible says, see, when you passionately pursue him, otherwise you just, you just join in the Christian club, the club of your choice. The Bible says in Luke chapter 16, verse 16, the law and the prophets were unto John. Since that time the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. So he is saying, in essence, that he wants you to reach this point or this place of desperation. And I ask God all the time. I said, Lord, every time I think crazy, make me more desperate. I want to become more desperate for you. I want to become more desperate for you. Every day we wake up in the morning, Lord, you gave me breath. You gave me life and breath. It's not, Lord, just thank you for, uh, that I woke up again, but why did you let me wake up? 
Look at the people that's died. Why did you let me wake up? What? It's not that I'm so special. You say, well, oh, because after all, I'm God's man of faith and power. No, Lord, knowing me and knowing what I deserve, why did you let me wake up? Not how many people have died, but why did we open our eyes in the morning and see these new mercies? Because God is saying, he says, something I want to do in you and through you this day, your day, that had not been done before. Every day is an opportunity. Every day. So in closing, we want to make sure that we make every day count. Count the days and weeks, the weeks, this month, the months, of years, but make every day count. So, Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I'm, I, I, you're, you're saying this to us, but you're saying some things to me personally in this. I don't want to look at the harvest like I might have looked at the harvest in the past. I want to look at even those that are here through your lenses, through your eyes, so that I'm not blinded by the glitter and glamour of life, but to see those that you send my way as desperate souls seeking to know the Savior, seeking a shepherd to lead them in the way of truth. So, Lord, lead through me. Love through me. Have your way in me. Have your way in them so that all of those who are desperate in life that do not know the way can be led in the way because your son said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to you, Father, except through your Son. So with this, I give you the honor. I give you all the praise, and I give you all the glory. In Jesus' name.